0: Welcome to the Motor Mouth Mosley Radio Show. You have reached the host, Motor Mouth Mosley. Want to say thank you for tuning in, listening in, whether you're live or you're listening on an archived episode after the fact. Got a full slate of uh, sports for you tonight, and talk a little football, a little tennis, and uh, we've got week two of the NFL preseason football highlight of the weekend so far are uh, the four games that are being played that were played tonight. We're going to highlight the Atlanta Falcons versus the Baltimore Ravens, but also on the schedule tonight, we're the Detroit Lions playing at Cleveland, Carolina versus the Eagles, and San Diego playing the Chicago Bears from the Windy City. So we're going to go over the nice games a little bit. We're going to talk about a couple things that happened uh, that came out in the news over the last few days, talking about most valued franchises, also, I want to kind of touch a little bit on this Johnny Manziel deal that has kind of died down over the last few days. And uh, I was given an interesting article to read uh, by an anonymous friend who uh, informed me of something that I didn't know about. On this Johnny Manziel deal, which if you don't know, and I, and I don't want to linger on it too long because we've got other things we want to talk about, and hopefully we'll have a couple of callers also, um, on this Johnny Manziel deal, he had uh, gotten himself in more trouble for signing memorabilia and supposedly getting paid for it. Well, um, the NCAA, which is chosen to investigate this, does unlike the law, they don't have the power of subpoena, which means making someone to come in and talk to them and testify. Uh, they don't have that authority, so unless these people, these brokers, decide on their own free will that they want to talk to them and give out more information or show cash checks or transactions or billing information where they'd actually paid Johnny Manziel money, uh, the NCA may actually have a tough road to climb to convict him and actually to punish him for anything. Because the reason why was in 1987, um, the state of Texas, Uh, made it a law, and uh, I will read it out to you. It says, the state of Texas passed legislation in 1987 that could hold the autograph hounds liable for actions if they paid the player, we'll say maybe the other time for his autographs in violation of NCAA legislation section 131.004 of the Texas Civil Practice and Remedies Code. It states, A person who violates a rule of a National Collegiate Athletic Association adopted by this chapter is liable for damages in an action brought by an institution if, one, the person knew or reasonably should have known that the rule was violated, and, two, the violation of the rule is a contributing factor to disciplinary action taken by the National Collegiate Athletic Association against the institution for a student at the institution. In other words, what they're basically saying is if these brokers or, um, yeah, we'll just call them brokers, these guys who go around and get memorabilia signed and then go and resell it on eBay or whatever, that if they actually are doing this and they pay for it and they are involved in these types of transactions, they are liable for a lawsuit not only by the player but the school and also the ncaa in the state of texas i believe this legislation this legislation legislation was brought about after the 19 i think it was 85 86 smu death penalty situation where players were being bought and uh players were being bought and um Uh, Giving money under the table and doing all kinds of stuff that was illegal according to the NCAA. Uh, So this state of Texas has this on the books that if these guys uh, contribute to either a school getting punished or a player getting in trouble, that they can be sued. So more than likely, the NCAA now is got a real problem because if they want to pursue this with Johnny Manziel. We're going to need the cooperation of these brokers, who, if they actually assist the NCAA and are, and the NCAA ultimately punishes the schools or the, or the athlete, these brokers are now going to get sued. So more than likely, this whole Johnny Manziel deal is probably now going to be laid to rest because uh, they're not going to get the cooperation. Like Major League Baseball did with biogenesis and all that kind of stuff. So, I, like I said, I just wanted to give that little bit of tidbit of news. Uh, it's probably something that most people outside of the state of Texas, they didn't know. Uh, this whole Johnny Manziel deal is probably something that people are getting, getting kind of tired of hearing about. Uh, now the teams are back on the field practicing and getting ready for games in about three and a half, four weeks. Uh, it's probably going to be laid to rest. But let's talk about what's really important. We had preseason football. We had the Atlanta Falcons playing the Baltimore Ravens. And all I was really interested in was looking at the first half of these games because those are the people who will be playing uh, in at the beginning of September, uh, on the 5th, I believe, the first, first game on a Thursday. Those are the people who will actually be on rosters in teams. Some of these guys who played in the second half, they may make a roster and they may develop to be uh, good players in the year or two, but more than likely a lot of them we won't hear from. Early in the season, so uh, what I did is I basically went down and looked at all the halftime scores. Uh, I did watch the Atlanta Falcons-Baltimore uh, Ravens game, and at halftime, that game was twenty to seven Atlanta. Uh, Denver versus Cleveland; it was three to seventeen Cleveland. It was fourteen to six Philly over Carolina in, at halftime, and the San Diego-Chicago game was fourteen zero, and. Uh, that didn't bode well for San Diego. And you, like, I, like I said repeatedly on the show, these pieces and games are more evaluation, uh, player evaluation, and implementing new systems. So the scores aren't necessarily all that important, who wins the game, who loses the game. But what you want to look at is the performance of the players who will probably be on your roster. So that's why I, I pretty much focused on the first half of these games. And watching uh, the San Diego first half was kind of hard to watch, but I did go back and forth, and I was watching a little bit of that, the San Diego-Chicago game. And San Diego looked pretty pathetic. Now, they've come back in the second half, and their backups have made more of a game of it. It's now 28 to 30, and it's only got uh, a minute left in the game. So they actually made it look better than what it looked in the first half. It didn't look like... Uh, San Diego could hold on to the ball they had problems on special teams uh saw one of the best hits of the preseason already that uh, Jonathan Bostic a rookie I believe out of Florida blew up a receiver on an inside screen and it'll be on ESPN later and all that stuff so you'll see it you know the kind of hits that you know they love to highlight and didn't want to legislate against the uh, NFL but uh You check that game out. Check those highlights out. But like I said, the game that I really focused on was Atlanta versus Baltimore. Uh, The Atlanta Falcons' hometown team here in Atlanta uh, were up in uh, Baltimore playing the Ravens. It was a great game. It was a great first half. Uh, It was well played after – the first half of the first quarter. Uh teams kinda of went in this game a little differently. Atlanta played their starters all the first quarter and most of the offensive linemen they played in the first half. Uh, Atlanta, uh Baltimore played Flacco the first quarter and that was it. Um, and early on it was sloppy. It looked like the first preseason game of the year. A lot of penalties uh, a lot of illegal procedure calls. So it it, it didn't bode well early for for it to be a good game. It ultimately turned out to be a pretty decent game. But both teams, well, especially the Ravens, are going through a major transition. They've lost some quality players to retirement and to free agency. Um, they had to replace Ed Reed. They're starting all pro, perennial all pro safety. Uh, Ray Lewis, Hall of Famer, futurely, uh, future Hall of Famer. But they picked up Chris Kenney from the Giants, who formerly was with the Cowboys, they also picked up Elvis Dumerville over that fax machine debacle that they had in Denver where his agent was late faxing in uh, the paperwork, so he ended up being a free agent and ultimately signed with the Ravens. So that team is going through a bit of transition. Uh, they drafted Michael Huff. Uh, drafted, they picked up Michael Huff from, um, I believe, the Giants formerly out of the University of Texas. And they also drafted, they did draft safety Matt Elam out of Florida, a player that I had hoped that Dallas would get uh, in the draft, but they didn't. Uh, uh, they also had a major injury early in the camp with Dennis Pitta uh, getting injured and out for the year. And they signed Vasante Shenko, uh off the free agency. And hopefully, you know, they will come around. But as I said, that game was rather ugly in the first half. It ended up being a good game because the offense seemed seen the click. It was like they were still knocking off rust. Um, Atlanta looked like the better team in the first half. The receivers uh, were on point with uh, Matt Ryan. Unfortunately, Roddy White, one of the all-pro wide receivers, went to the locker room early in the first half with an ankle injury. He walked on it. He walked off the field with a slight lift looked like he was going to be okay. They probably will uh, MRI or x-ray it, and within the next day or so, we'll know if he was anything serious. Hopefully, for the Falcons' sake, they, it won't be something serious. Now, the Falcons are an interesting team. They had a 13-3 and regular season record and lost in the second round, actually, in the NFC Championship in the playoffs last year. And they were a team, in my opinion, just being honest, going back, looking at the notes, they are a team that, played a lot of very close games. I believe they've won uh, eight games by seven points or less. That's throughout the year. And then I believe that the three losses that they had, uh, actually four losses that they had, uh, three of them were by less than five points. So they were a team that did a very good job of being in games close and holding on and finding a way to win. Now, they're going to need a few things to go their way uh, this season coming up because uh, sometimes one year you get all the breaks and sometimes next year uh, you get none of the breaks. But they're def- they're, they are definitely dealing with a situation where they're trying to work on their offensive line. They lost a couple of quality players to retirement and to free agency. Uh, they started out with Sam Baker at left tackle, Blake lock, uh, playing a left guard, Kant playing center, Reynolds and Holmes on the other side. And for the most part, they looked pretty decent. Uh, they still, uh, I, I wasn't totally comfortable in their abilities to, to run block. Although Steven Jackson came in, and unlike last week, he was able to get, I believe, like 42 yards on eight carries, which is about a five-yard average, a little bit over, which is quality, which is as much as you can ask. Uh, is very good if you could average that Throughout a game, so the line Looked a little bit better um, There were a couple of situations at of third and long, and the Ravens Who normally have a very stout defense uh, Put Major pressure on the quarterback And you could see uh, A few assignment errors But they actually looked like A, a much improved offensive line From the first week um, Atlanta is a team That's going to rely heavily on their passing game. They signed Matt Ryan uh, to a large contract in the offseason along with Joe Flacco. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to see how well they're able to improve the run game for uh, times when they need to hold on and run down the clock by uh, pounding a, a defense with the running game. It looks like I've got Coach Howard on the line. Hey, Coach Howard, how you doing? I know you were watching the San Diego Chicago game. Uh, I don't know if that's what what you're calling about, but how's everything going? Well, the, Brad Sorensen
1: just threw a uh, hail mary, which uh, went basically through the back of the end zone. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly what happened at the
0: end. That is exactly what happened at the end of the Atlanta game. A uh, third-string quarterback uh, overthrew the receiver completely out of the back of the end zone, which we all know is an absolute no-no. You have to give your receiver a chance. You can't throw the ball out of the end zone. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: But, hey, I tell you, there's a lot of great highlight, uh, film for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Some awesome hits. Yes. There's a lot of turnovers. I,
0: I, I happened to flip over and see that big hit that Johnson, uh Bostick put on uh, a wide receiver, but much to his credit, that receiver got up from the hit, bounced right up. And then I believe he came back and scored two touchdowns uh, uh, throughout the game. So, I mean, it was, it, it wasn't San Diego's best foot forward. Uh, the first round draft pick, manti tail didn't play. He was dealing with some issues, Um uh, girlfriend issues or mystery girlfriend issues, thank goodness. But he's dealing with some issues, so they sat him for a week. No big deal. uh But all the teams that I've seen so far in the preseason, they look like they may have some problems.
1: Yeah, they they're going to they have a quite a bit of problems. Uh, interestingly enough, they came back and and made it a closer score. But uh you know, the second and third stringers are not. The ones that you got to really look out for. You have to really watch how the first teamers uh, play, and the Chargers' first teamers absolutely don't look good at all. Um, and, and they, the first teamers, uh, turned the ball over three times in the first two quarters, and then uh, I think they had a total of four, maybe five turnovers by the end of the game.
0: It uh, yeah, wasn't it pretty at all. That is definitely a recipe for disaster in the NFL, no doubt about it. Listen folks, if you're listening live or if you're listening to an archived version, you are listening to the Motormouth Mosley radio show, you can reach us at Motormouth Mosley at AOL dot com. You can also hit us up anytime on Twitter at MM Mosley twenty four. You can hit us you can send us an email. Uh you can twitter us, you can Facebook us. Uh, you can find us at any time on Facebook at uh Motormouth Mosley. If you're interested in sending us something, whatever it may be, uh, you can mail to us at the Motormouth Mosley Man Cave. That's P.O. Box High Five in Georgia, three zero zero seven four. Look forward to hearing from you. Look forward to show ideas. Now, Coach Howard, um, I'm gonna go down the list of Other games that are being played this weekend, there's a full schedule of preseason football games. As I've already gone over, we had four games tonight, but starting tomorrow we've got Minnesota versus Buffalo, San Francisco versus Kansas City, Tampa Bay goes up to New England to play the Patriots, Oakland versus the New Orleans Saints, back with head coach Sean Payton. Saturday we've got, I believe, six games. We've got Dallas and Arizona, Tennessee versus Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Jacksonville versus the New York Jets in their quarterback struggles. Miami versus Houston. Green Bay versus St. Louis. Denver goes up to Seattle and their 12th man. Then Sunday, we've got a game. Indianapolis, Andrew Luck and his boys. Pleasure is Eli Payton. Eli Manning and his boys, the New York Giants. And then we close out this weekend's games on Monday with Pittsburgh versus Washington, the Monday night football game. Should be some interesting football. We were uh, earlier in the week talking about some of the quarterback uh, battles that are going on some of the rosters. Uh, Teams like yours, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, they don't have to worry about who their quarterback is. It's pretty set who's going to be the quarterback. But the New York Jets are having a battle between Geno Smith and Mark Sanchez. You've got down in Jacksonville, you've got Blaine Gabbard and Chad Henney fighting for the starting quarterback position. Uh, there's a little bit of a discussion up in Cleveland with uh, Brandon Whedon and Ch- uh, Jason Campbell. So there's some teams that are still struggling trying to find out their identity. You may They may know a little bit more after uh, this weekend's games. But uh, with four preseason games, wouldn't you by now want to actually have some idea as to who your starting quarterback is going to be? So you can start building around them and not be sharing number one reps. It seems a little bit late in the in the dance to be still going back and forth.
1: I think uh, just watching what's going on in the preseason, I, I think uh, the coaches they know for some of the teams you mentioned, they already know who the starting quarterback is going to be. Like for for instance, Cleveland, it's going to be Wheaton. uh It won't be Campbell. Uh, I don't know why they're putting a quarterback controversy in there. Uh, we didn't actually look pretty good in the first two pre-season, preseason games. So I'm guessing he'll be named the starter. Uh, as for Philadelphia, my gut feeling is it's going to be uh, Michael Vick. Uh, just because of his experience, uh, he adds a little bit more uh, dimension to the game with his uh, his speed and his mobility. And and if it should be a close tie between Michael Vick and uh, Nick Foles, it will go to Vic. Um, but what was interesting that I heard mentioned uh, on the NFL Network is that Vic is in his last year of his contract. So if, if the money becomes an issue, don't be surprised if either Vic's traded or becomes a free agent. Um, as for the yes, Buffalo that's Bills, uh, go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's interesting.
0: Um, because a I, I don't... You know, What I heard earlier in in relations to the whole Florida-Fugle quarterback situation was that um, the the bobblehead that I saw, and and I don't even know which one it was, but he had said that they liked what they saw. He liked what he saw out of Matt Barkley and would actually use Nick Foles as trade bait. And I thought that, okay, this is the reason why I don't watch these guys because – that's about as ludicrous of an idea as I could think of, because Foles actually looked good at parts of the season last year when he got a chance, and to, to all of a sudden bring in and say Matt Barkley has supplanted him as the number two guy, I just, I uh, just seems kind of ludicrous to me. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, I, I think, I think the
1: trade bait is going to be Michael Vick. That's going to be my my prediction. I I think Michael Vick's going to have a... If if Michael Vick has a decent year this year, and if he stays healthy, the key is for him to stay healthy. But if he stays healthy, there's a good chance that the Eagles may not be able to afford Michael Vick uh, with his new contract. So I think they're grooming Nick Foles to be the starter and Barkley to be the backup guy, uh, unless come next season or the following season after... Uh, Barkley starts uh, contending for the starting job, but uh, Nick Foles, I was pretty impressed with him, with that one uh, with the exception of that one pick that he threw in the first drive, but uh, he looked
0: pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he looked pretty good, too, but I I, I personally feel that this offense is an offense that fits Michael Vick's skill set perfectly. If, if Chip Kelly had been uh, his coach earlier, and is able to kind of groom him uh, and not make some of the forced, pressured throws that he's made over the last couple of years and improve that offensive line, um, I, I really see that this Philadelphia Eagles team could be offensively very dangerous and very explosive. The problem with the Eagles is actually their defense and his offense as a defense can be. They've got some major holes to fill. They've got some major problems. So they will be, I, I would guess, that they will be in some very high-scoring games this season just because of the lack of defense and the explosiveness of their offense. But uh, I didn't get to watch much of that game. They're showing highlights of it right now. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm looking at Vic do what Vic does, and it just looks like, uh, he's found a home, and if they can keep him healthy, and he learns how to slide and not take hits, um, I think that that offense could still be very dangerous. Could be very dangerous. One of the other topics that I did want to touch on a little bit was a, that Forbes magazine, which is a magazine about money, and uh, they do all kind of crazy rankings of you know the top money earning athletes of the year and, and all kind of nonsense like that. Well, this week they came out with another nonsense uh, list. But, it, it, of course, I liked it because I liked two at the top of the list. But they came out with the list of the most valued teams in the NFL. And for some of you people who are friends of, uh, fans of other teams, I kind of jotted some of them down. you got the Atlanta Falcons, who are worth $933 million. Now that's almost as much as Coach Howard gets paid a year. But uh, $933 million from Atlanta Falcons. And they're now in the process of trying to build, uh, find a home for a new stadium. They want to move out of the Georgia Dome and build a new stadium, which virtually will be down the street from the old stadium. They've had some issues with a couple of churches that aren't willing to give up their property for the price That's been offered. I think I I saw it one time where the Falcons were offering one of the churches like six or seven million and the church wanted 15 million for the property. So I know they're still in negotiations. They had walked away from each other for a while, said it wasn't going to happen, but it looks like that the things are back on 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 the table again. Uh, uh, Coach Howard San Diego chargers were on the list at number 25. New Orleans Saints were on the list at 23. His beloved Seahawks also were on the list at 15. Pittsburgh Steelers, 14. Denver Broncos at 13. That's for many played again. Uh, Glenn Eagle over And we'll start with the top 10. The, 40, the 49ers are worth $1.224 billion. Not bad for a team with five Super Bowl rings. Baltimore Ravens, the defending Super Bowl champs. They come in at number nine at $1.227 billion. Chicago Bears, one of the most historic franchises in the history of professional football. They're at number eight at $1.252 billion. Eagles, $1.314. First team out of the NFC East, to be mentioned. The New York Jets, with all the troubles that they go through and they're dealing with and their lack of only one Super Bowl victory, they got $1.3.8 billion worth. Now in Houston, Texas, team that's only been in the league for, I believe, what, about 11, 15 years, somewhere in there? $1.45 million. They cracked the top five. Then comes the big rush of NFC East teams. Number four, New York Giants. Number three, Washington Redskins. And the number two team, most valued team in NFL football, the New England Patriots worth $1.8 billion. They bring in over $400 million in revenue a year, and their operating costs are only 1 point, uh, $139 million. So the craft people that own that team, they're doing rather well. <laughs> they're doing rather well financially. And, of course, the most valued team, and one of the most valued teams in all professional sports, I believe they're only number two behind... Uh-huh. I believe they're number two behind the uh, uh, Manchester United Soccer Club or Football Club, excuse me, out of Europe. But the number one NFL team was $2.3 billion, $2.3 billion, and that they are doing $539 million in revenue a year. They spend they spend two hundred and fifty. Million dollars in operating cost. My beloved Dallas Cowboys. I know you hate it. I know people hate it. I know that we go around saying America's team and you hate it. But I'm sorry. I also try to another little tidbit of information today that the top five ranked NFL games, television shows that were watched most watched TV shows last year, on um, in markets that have NFL teams. Three out of five of them were Dallas Cowboy games. So people, you may hate them. You may not like it, may get tired of Dallas Cowboys. Are, will be, and have always been America's right. <laughs> team.
1: Coach Howard, what's going on with you? What's going on with you? I just need to raise little hell
0: with, these, uh, with these wannabe Falcon fans. Uh, they're now 0-2 in preseason, but they're actually looking pretty good as a team, so I really can't hate on them. They look pretty good tonight, and I think that they will have a very good season. What's going on with you, Howard? We've got about a minute left. Is there anything you wanted to touch on?
1: Yes, I'm still uh, lamenting the trade that the Chargers did by getting rid of Drew Brees and keeping Philip Rivers, I tell you.
0: <laughs>
1: that, that, that's almost as bad a decision as drafting Ryan Leaf in the first round. <laughs>
0: Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Well, I'm I'm sure, I would assume that you're calling from the tiki bar, so I'm sure there's something there that can ease your pain, that can make you feel a little bit better. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you for calling in, Coach Howard. It's been a blast. This may be the fastest 30-minute show that I've had yet, and I definitely want to thank you for calling in. You people that are listening now and will be listening later, again, you're listening to the Motormouth Mosley Radio Show. All we're doing is talking sports, having some fun, having a few laughs, and trying to educate the world on what's going on in the greatest game. Thank you again for listening, and aloha.